snuggle up by the fire and listen to a ghost story. Don't pay any heed to the howling wind outside or to the creaks in the floorboards. Don't let the footsteps in the attic or the shadows cast by a flickering candle trouble you. Strange shapes are crawling out of the dark. Something ominous is knocking at your door. Chains are rattling in the cellar. Quiet. The ghosts of Christmas are gathering. It is time for the Midnight Carols. Chapter 2 Winter Without Christmas Part 1 I'm quite aware that my fellow classmates consider me as something of an odd bird. Well, it is to be expected, given my studious disposition, my dislike of noise and partying, my inclination for things of the intellect, not to mention my distinct preference for the enjoyment of my own company over that of bumbling and shallow acquaintances. In truth, I don't think I ever belonged anywhere, nor with anyone. I loathed the constant one-upmanship within my boarding school and didn't feel at home with my family. Even the books, stories and small miracles of childhood held no more wonder for me anymore. Yet, I wasn't an adult either and I was still coming to terms with life's dissatisfaction and loneliness. In short, what my life would turn out to be, I dreaded and otherwise held no fear for what should have scared me. Everything changed during my last winter before coming to Oxford. I had joined the rest of my family for our traditional holiday in the Austrian Alps. As always, we were staying in a quaint remote village surrounded by pristine mountain landscapes and jagged snow-capped peaks. The hotel, a chalet located next to the slopes, was favoured by wealthy English tourists. To my parents' dismay, I had never taken any interest in mingling with the other guests, nor did I ever take part in any of the evening entertainments. I considered such activities as nothing more than frivolous pastimes for the empty-headed crowds. Most nights, I attempted to find pretexts to excuse myself and avoid going to the dance. Besides the time I spent on the slopes... I enjoyed these moments of nocturnal solitude most of all. It was during one of these quiet evenings that, gazing at the wintry landscape through the windows, I was tempted to wander outside for a stroll. My parents enjoyed themselves at the dance and, provided that I return before midnight, they would be none the wiser. After taking my overcoat and snow boots, I slipped into the vast of night. The wooden chalets already slept, their roofs covered with snow. Puffs of bluish smoke swirled from the chimneys before dissipating in the wind. The world lay quiet, buried in snow. I made my way through the village. The chapel bell fry was gleaming under the moonlight. I felt a frosty prickle deep within my chest. Something in the glacial expanse beckoned to me and, for a short instant... I longed to explore the wintry landscape and leave the slumbering houses behind. I resisted the urge to walk toward the slopes. 
Instead, I began to walk back to the hotel. But something stirred in the icy wild, something born of frozen nights and windswept heights. A whisper coming from the thoughtful desolation of frost and stone. An inhuman voice wrought in the silence of dark hollows and immeasurable depths. Its wordless call echoed at the edge of my perception, grim, forlorn, and as majestic as the winter night. A breath of ice made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. A frozen touch brushed against my soul and, even though I didn't realize it at the time, laid its claim on me. I was under its spell before I let myself back in my room. Years of holiday in Tyrol had made me a rather good skier, though a small consolation for my parents who wished I was more sociable. As far as I was concerned, nothing could provide more excitement than the swishing sound of ski, the blinding white of powdery snow, and the bite of crisp, clean air. Each day as I put on my ski shoes, I was overwhelmed by a surge of euphoria. I could ski through the morning and afternoon without feeling any tiredness, intoxicated by physical exertion as much as by the rare find mountain air. I treasured the time on the slopes, away from the demands of the world, and did all I could to extend it. In the late afternoons, when the first rose-coloured clouds were appearing in the western sky, I would pick a spot high up, above the slopes, wait for the last skiers to leave, and enjoy a moment of peace in the majestic loneliness and quiet of the snow. It was on one such occasion that, having spent a little more time than usual lost in contemplation, I found myself fumbling in semi-darkness to fasten my skis. Far below, lights began twinkling in the village. I was about to leave my spot when something compelled me to turn my eyes towards the mountains. The snowfields above me were glimmering, framed by the dark outline of exposed rocks. Something moved in the distance. I couldn't quite make out what it was, but it was moving with ease and confidence down the icy slope. I had never seen any animal venturing on the slope before. I had assumed that they had avoided the regions favoured by tourists. After all, most of the mountains remained inaccessible throughout winter. Theirs was the rules of dizzying heights, of sheer cliffs, and perilous chasms. I paused and stared, wondering whether it was an ibex, a lynx, or something else. The figure came closer, gliding on the snow without apparent effort, and I gasped. It was a fellow skier, there was no doubt about it. The shape was sliding from one side of the slope to the other at great speed, spraying glittering snow dust and leaving white tracks in its wake. Never had I seen anyone skiing with such ease and confidence. The skiers stopped on the ridge above me. Still staring, I waved. The figure didn't wave back, but I sent some sort of unspoken invitation. There was a kind of impatience in the skier's attitude. An eagerness. Had I just been challenged to a race? Very well, I thought, and went forward, bending my knees to gain speed. Despite my head start, my companion caught up with me in seconds. From up close, 
I thought I could see long blonde hair shimmering in the moonlight. The few glimpses I could catch of the skier were enough for me to deduce that it was indeed a woman. Although, the light was too dim, and she was too fast for me to guess her age. Her strength and daring suggested that she wasn't much older than I was. I searched my memories for someone like her. I could hardly imagine anyone in the hotel fitting her description. Some of the girls on my dance card had been pretty enough, but none had this kind of flair. She had to be from the village. And yet, I very much doubted that she could be a simple peasant's daughter. I hoped that all my doubts would be cleared when we would reach the bottom of the slope. I was trying to think about ways to introduce myself. I went as far as translating my sentiment into German. When, being too caught up in my own thoughts, I lost my balance and tumbled headlong down the slope in a whirlwind of snow. She was standing next to me when I opened my eyes. Tall, slender, graceful. That much the moonlight allowed me to see. My name is Algernon. She laughed, but didn't answer. It was a light and airy kind of laugh, like a gust of wind. I couldn't see her face in the darkness, and only caught the gleam of her eyes. Blue and icy cold. I... Where are you staying? I would very much like to meet you again. That is, if you don't mind. I shivered. The cold was starting to get to me. My hands and feet were getting numb, but there was a flutter of excitement in my chest. Before I could ask her more details, she was gone. I tried to follow, of course, but I lost her in the dark. I looked for tracks at the bottom of the slope, near the village. Nothing. An icy wind picked up, carrying gusts of snowflakes. The village was small, hardly more than a few hundred souls. We were bound to meet again. At least, that was what I told myself to temper my disappointment. For almost two weeks, I looked for her. The exhilaration I used to feel when rushing down the slopes in a flurry of shimmering snowflakes had drained. Most days, I mostly focused on the faces of my fellow skiers, trying to pick her out from the crowd. When dusk was falling, I waited, eyes fixed upon snowy heights, expecting her to appear at any moment. Although each day ended in more weariness and disappointment, there was no end to my fixation. Sometimes, either by virtue of my heightened faculty of observation or by some tricks of imagination, I would notice traces of her passage, a rustle within the fir trees, small tracks leading nowhere, whispers in the cold wind, the sense of a watchful presence hiding amid snow and rocks. I refrained from calling her out loud, afraid that I would scare her away with the bluntness of my approach. My repeated failures to find her were a constant source of irritation. It should come as no surprise that I snapped when my parents insisted on my going to the evening dance. They wouldn't stop pestering me, claiming that it would indeed be a pity to miss another occasion to socialize. Until I finally yielded. Only when I was getting dressed for the night 
that I realised it was an opportunity. Most of the hotel guests would be there, along with some of the worldlier villagers. There was a good chance that my mysterious girl would come too. And if she didn't show, there would surely be someone who knew her. The hall was a tumult of blazing lights, dancing music, and colourful dresses. As soon as I stepped into the room, I marvelled at the petty stakes of such festivities. Outside, the howling blizzard had smothered the whole landscape, and the dark of night pressed on. It wasn't a clash between man's good spirits and the forces of nature. Everyone in this hall knew such a battle was already lost. There was no cause for celebration. No victory to be claimed against the elements. No, the dancer's whirling revel meant nothing. I stood in silence for a moment, wondering why they feared the wintry breath of night. Did they know about the translucent wonders of the high ridges, or about the listening depths of glaciers? What frightened them, I longed for, and what they pursued, bought me. All were joyful and enthusiastic, spinning around the ballroom to the rhythm of waltzes. I took part in the merriment, with one objective, to find out if anyone knew my mysterious friend. Bafflement and irritation were plainly visible on my partner's faces, but I couldn't help asking questions as I fumbled around, straining to hear their confused answers over the music. Oftentimes, I found myself straying towards the door, expecting her to appear. It was nearly midnight when I noticed the girl from the village eyeing me from the other side of the hall. Since my dance card was almost empty, I invited her. Tourists and villagers usually kept apart, but I assumed that my breach of etiquette couldn't be worse for my reputation than my absent-mindedness. I did my best to ignore her silent stare as we waited patiently for the musicians to play a new piece. I heard you're looking for Percht, don't you? I, I I don't understand. I met this girl on the slopes. Tall, blonde hair, and an excellent skier. Does it ring a bell? No, no bell, no ringing. You must stop looking. Frau Percht is no good for you. I'm not sure what you mean. Ich verste nicht. Still, there's no need to get angry. What's the word? Percht? Is that her name? Do you know the girl I'm referring to? Is she a friend of yours? By the time I managed to convey what I wanted to say with a mix of German and English, the music had stopped and my partner had pulled me towards her table. I attempted to take my leave, only for her to grip my shoulder and shake her head. A short but lively exchange ensued, of which I hardly understood anything until her sister intervened. She wants you to meet our mother. You can come if you have to. We live just outside the village. It shouldn't take too long. Look, I don't know what your sister wants. We were only dancing. You can rest assured that it was never my intention to cause offence, nor to- You seek the Schönperten. How do you say, uh, the white woman? Lady of the snow? Mother can help you. A strange combination of emotions washed over me. I should have been overwhelmed by anticipation and excitement, 
but I couldn't shake off a sense of unease. Was it the incongruity of the situation? The girl's cryptic expression? Why couldn't they give me her name and tell me where she lived? What would the girl's mother say? And why would they call her the Lady of the Snow? I assumed it was a nickname. And, well, it was quite fitting, albeit somewhat eerie. The sisters were waiting for my answer. There was a hint of urgency in the air, a tension that demanded to be relieved. Could you just tell me her real name? I've been trying to find her for weeks. No, 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 no. she is a toy villain. Do you understand? You must stay away. For a moment, her face reflected absolute terror. I glanced towards the sister. She was motionless, but something in her demeanor betrayed her unease. I promised I would visit their mother in the morning, if only to soothe the girl's anguish. That night, I went to bed thinking about the Lady of the Snow. I had already forgotten the cheerful music and the brightly colored dresses of the dancers swirling around the ballroom. My mind was full of white, and all I could see behind my closed eyelids was the white crystals whirling in the silent expanse of the mountains. The next morning, after following the sisters' indications, I reached the land house located on the outskirts of the village. The storm had left a deep layer of snow on the roof, and the trees in the garden were covered with frost. My mind was buzzing with conjectures and anticipation. I had an inkling the villagers' views would be steeped in prejudice and superstition. Yet, I needed to know about this lady of the snow. I wouldn't rest until I could see her again, hear her windy voice, feel her touch. Would she be cold? I wondered. The landhouse door opened as soon as I had knocked, revealing a rustic interior. Although the carved wooden ceiling hung low, the main room was large and comfortable. Come in, welcome. Want you something to eat? Some speck, yeah? I shook my head and stood awkwardly in the middle of the room. The girl's sister arrived soon thereafter, giving her arm to an elderly woman. They began talking in German. I didn't need to understand the words to know what they were saying. They were arguing over my visit. I was about to leave when the old woman raised her finger. Sitzen Sie bitte. Sit down. I obliged her and she came closer, shuffling her feet on the wooden floor. She took my face in her hands, then stared me in the eyes before sitting in a chair opposite to me. She addressed me in a German dialect I had never heard before. Her eyes always fixed upon me, even as her older daughter translated her questions. She asked me about my family, my life in England. I shifted in my seat and made a move to get up and leave. Maybe the old woman had misunderstood the reason for my visit. Maybe she believed I was interested in her daughter. I wasn't about to waste any more of my time while I could be skiing or walking the snowy forest paths. My mother would like you to tell her about the Percht. I told them about my habit of lingering on the slopes in the late afternoon, about my strange encounter. I even told them about my growing infatuation. As my story progressed, the daughter's expressions changed. The younger, 
A happy sort, as far as I could tell, turned ashen grey, shaking and sobbing in silence. The older sister, my translator, dropped her irony for a kind of dull horror. Only the old woman showed no sign of surprise or dismay. You must not in the mountains go again. This creature is gefährlich, how to say, perilous. Not human, not animal. Stay inside and forget about her or she will come when you sleep. She will your belly cut open and your guts she will stuff with straw. You understand? No more going in the mountains. Chapter 2, Winter Without Christmas, Part 1, featured Carmelo Viviani as Algernon and Peter Coates as the announcer. Additional voices by Elizabeth Plant. Sound design by James Stoffer from JLS Audio. The Midnight Carols was created by Vincent Robert Nicou. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to tune in next week for part two.